I want to start this morning with a quote from Joanna Macy. She writes, Gratitude for the gift of life is the primary wellspring of all religions, the hallmark of the mystic, and the source of all true art. Yet we so easily take this gift for granted. That is why so many spiritual traditions begin with thanksgiving, to remind us that for all our woes and worries, our existence itself is an unearned benefaction, which we could never of ourselves create. Gratitude for the gift of life. When the mind is awake, alert, when it's not colored by the filters of the past, um, by the projections of our fear and the future, this life itself, each moment, is this kind of mysterious gift, like that fox appearing in the forest. And so we are living through uh, dramatic change uh, on a scale and a pace that the human species uh, hasn't seen uh, perhaps ever, uh, but certainly for uh, for hundreds of years. And uh, for those of us who are Dharma practitioners, who are contemplatives, It's a very interesting time in many ways. Um, I know it is for myself because our whole practice is about studying and learning from change. The Dharma, uh, that that word Dharma means uh, nature, the way things are, the way, the natural order. And so our practice is one of inquiry and observation to understand and uh, know directly the way things are and to begin to see for ourselves with our own eyes to uh, know and touch with our own hearts and bodies the very deep truth of impermanence, uncertainty, that everything's temporary, that nothing is solid. And so this is the, uh, this is kind of one of the core aims of this practice. And so here we are living in a time where that is being revealed to us and shown to us in spades every day, the amount of changes that are happening. So there, there's this interesting thing that can happen if one is a spiritual practitioner. We develop a persona. We develop an identity as someone who is a meditator, a practitioner. And on top uh, of the expectations and stories and beliefs and structures of our own personality and society, becomes layered this this veneer of a spiritual person who now needs to live up to some other standard 
right? And I, you know, practice meditation or I follow the teachings of the Buddha uh, or however, however it occurs to you. And um, there can be this way sometimes that we don't allow ourselves to feel the, uh, the truth of our response to a crisis like this, so something so destabilizing, the uncertainty of what's happening. Because of the idea we might have about how I'm supposed to be. And um, maybe some of you have uh, experienced moments of that. Um, maybe for others it hasn't occurred that way. Um, but I want to start um, by, by welcoming everything. So as we begin this, uh, this month of practice together online with me and with Caroline, who will be teaching tomorrow, I'll say more about that, to really make it clear that there's no supposed to. There's no way anything should be from your emotions to your thoughts to your practice that this path is about discovering the way things are. And the way things are isn't up to us and it's always changing. And so there's a wide range of responses we may be having to the situation that we're living through from fear, uh, even panic. A very close friend of mine I've known for years, a meditation teacher, author, uh, he and I have been corresponding some, and uh, you know, he's saying for the first time in my life, I'm really struggling with anxiety and panic attacks, not being able to sleep. It's not about what happens. It doesn't mean anything about who we are if we feel afraid or frightened. It's just what's happening. It's just an unfolding of events internally and externally and the, the interaction of those. It's natural to avoid, to want to shut out what's happening, to uh, feel overwhelmed or flooded and try to isolate. Uh, it's also natural to grieve. You know, all of us are experiencing a kind of loss, not only the loss of, of normalcy, whatever that means, um, but a, a loss of familiarity with the way things have been a loss of a certain kind of lifestyle. And so even as we make space for the wide range of feelings and responses that may be happening, we can also recognize that we have the tremendous resource of our practice. The tremendous resource of these teachings in this path guiding us to learn from experience rather than to run from it, rather than to try to control it, to learn how to be with change. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. There's this dog outside that is just, just has this quality of longing. <laughs> just noticing that and wanting to name it, if you can hear it over there. There are these very powerful um, moments in the early texts of the Buddhist tradition um, that are echoed in uh, 
over the generations of practitioners and masters where uh, someone will die. And uh, the particular incident I'm thinking of is um, where the Buddha's two chief disciples, Sariputta and uh, Moggallana, these were kind of his best friends who were there with him from the very beginning of his teaching career of 45 years. And they died before he did. So he's in his 80s and his two closest friends pass away. And his cousin, Ananda, who was his attendant, um, was weeping, was just so broken up and distraught. And he was very um, stern. I can only imagine in a compassionate way with Ananda. And he said, Ananda, have I not told you? All conditioned things are impermanent. All things that are constructed fall apart. This is the nature of this life. So there's this way when we experience dramatic and sudden changes that there can be this disbelief at the change, at the scale, at the pace. And yet if we look closely, we realize, no, it's always been this way. What's happening is that the nature of things is being revealed to us. The veil has been lifted. The veil of permanence, the veil of continuity, the veil of stability that's created by the mind. This very powerful um, process that consciousness engages in to create a sense of continuity and stability in a world that is continually a flood of change. And so how do we respond when that veil is lifted? Those of you who have done deep practice have seen that, experienced that directly, the body disappearing, falling apart, the mind, thoughts just coming and going, vanishing, everything, a flood, a flow of change. And sometimes it's terrifying. And other times it's exhilarating. And eventually it can settle into a place of balance, a a quality of letting go that allows the world to be as it is, and then to participate in that flow of change, to not try to contract around it or control it. Another friend of mine, another Dharma teacher, sent sent an article out to some of us uh, in our teacher training cohort, those of us who did the IMS Spirit Rock teacher training uh, the last round that ended in 2016, um, kind of pointing to the frenzy of activity that some uh, of us have gotten caught up in, the busyness, and pointing out that even that as a kind of defense mechanism against feeling what's happening and the um, grabbing on to something, to anything, even, the, even that being busyness, to wait, wait it out until things get back to normal. How long is this going to last until everything goes back to normal? The reality being that none of us knows what's going to happen and that there's a very good chance that life will never be the same. That what, what we are living through and experiencing now may change our societies and our world in ways none of us can predict. And as practitioners we have the opportunity to meet this moment with resilience, 
to draw on our practice to say, yes, okay, here we are. And each moment is a choice. When we're aware in each moment, there's this fork in the road. We can go down one path of digging our heels in deeper, resisting, and sowing the seeds of confusion and suffering and fear by reacting. By not calling forth the, the courage to meet what's happening. Or we can take the road of the Dharma. We can take the turn, the inward turn, that's willing to open, to be with what's happening, to learn from it, to say, well, what is this? What is happening now? In my mind and body and in the world around me. So we have this, um, this incredible opportunity this next month together um, to practice, to practice formally with meditation, um, but also to practice with our life, with the circumstances that we're living with, and to use this opportunity not to retreat in fear or numbness, um, but to bring forth our best qualities, to actually use this to, to call forth the, the goodness and the potential in our hearts. And again, that doesn't mean not feeling afraid or worried or panicked or overwhelmed sometimes. It means using everything, turning towards and including everything as part of the path and part of the practice. So I want to say just a few words about um, the structure and flow of what we'll be offering this month. Um, and then offer maybe a few more reflections, some, some framing uh, for how you might think about this time and this practice. So Caroline Jones, who's the resident teacher at the Forest Refuge and I, um, will be doing this in kind of a tag team fashion. I'll be teaching on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, every morning at 8 a.m. California time, 11 o'clock a.m. on the East Coast. On Mondays, I'll give a short teaching with a guided meditation. On Tuesdays, I'll give a Dharma talk, short, maybe half an hour. And then on Wednesday mornings, we'll have a, an open Q&A. So you can tune in, ask questions about your practice, about any of the teachings that Caroline or I have, have been giving over the course of the week. Uh, Thursdays, Caroline will give uh, a talk. And on uh, no Thursdays, Caroline will do another guided meditation with a short reflection. And on Fridays, Caroline will give a talk. On the weekends, there's nothing. Uh, all of the information for this is on the retreat page for the Forest Refuge. Um, my offerings are also listed on my website. Um, because of our different um, locations and comfort levels with online teaching, my offerings are going to be streamed live. And there's a Zoom link. Uh, for the Monday and Tuesday offerings, and a different one for Wednesday since it's interactive. Uh, Caroline, Caroline's offerings will be posted on Dharma Seed on Thursday and Friday. So 
So we invite you to, to join us for as much or as little as you're able to over the course of the month. And uh, we've kind of designed this with um, try to have as much flexibility and space for the different circumstances that you might be in. And we, we recognize that um, some of you have kids at home, you're still working, uh, and this month will be a month of um, daily life practice having the opportunity to touch in and receive some teachings during the week as you're able, and then to integrate those into your life. Others um, at the other end of the spectrum, maybe you have the conditions at home uh, to really be on self-retreat, to not be online otherwise, reading the news or, um, you know, working, dealing with family or children, and you might be really more on retreat in the way we usually think about it. And that's great. And then everything in between. And so we really want to make space for just wherever you're at. Um, In some ways, I I want to suggest and to offer that you can see this time that we spend together each day uh, in the mornings with me, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and later in the day for Caroline with her talks on Dharma Seed um, as an opportunity to slow down as an opportunity to to touch into a quality of presence and rest that's nourishing and to practice, to practice the capacity to be with life just one moment at a time, to learn how to attend to this flow of experience and to handle whatever's coming. Thoughts, emotions, sensations, memories, fears, projections, all of it. To learn how to take it one moment at a time and really develop skill in staying grounded and present with a quality of poise and care and wisdom. The wisdom that understands the nature of what's happening and knows how to respond effectively. I wanna I wanna read to you the uh, the text of a comic um, from the uh, Australian cartoonist Michael Lunig, who had a series of comics called The Adventures of Vasco Pajama and Curly Flats. Uh, kind of a spoof on uh, the uh, explorer and colonialist Vasco da Gama. So this is a letter from uh, Curly, who lived at home, to Vasco Pajama, who's going about the world and. Curly writes, Dear Vasco, what is worth doing? What is worth having? I would like to say simply this. It is worth doing nothing and having a rest. In spite of all the difficulty it may, it may cause you, you must rest. Otherwise, you will become restless. I believe the world is sick with exhaustion and dying of restlessness. Tiredness has become the most suppressed feeling in the world. Everywhere we see people overcoming their exhaustion, pushing on with intensity, cultivating a great mass mania, which all around is making life so hard and ugly, so cruel and meaningless, so utterly graceless, and being congratulated for overcoming it and pushing it deep down inside themselves 
as if it were a virtue to do this. Yet tiredness is one of our strongest, most noble and instructive feelings. When you are tired, you must act upon it sensibly. You must rest like the trees and animals do. So I gently urge you, Vasco, do as we do in Curly Flat. Learn to curl up and rest. I repeat, it's worth doing nothing and having a rest. So one way of looking at our practice, the, the shamatha aspect of our practice, the calming, the abiding, the concentration and collecting part of our practice is as resting. We're learning to rest in a very deep and profound way. And as I was referring to before, one of the tendencies in response to the crisis we're living through is to amp up even more, right? To, to kick into high gear and just keep going faster as an attempt to avoid the discomfort, the uncertainty, the fear, the grief of what's happening. Whether that's about the changes we're seeing in our country or our world economically or otherwise, whether it's about the, uh, the grief and the pain of, uh, of a loved one who is sick or alone, um, or so many other things we may be responding to. Those who, who are living through this crisis without the resources to handle it, without, um, without a home, without adequate space or food or medical resources. But to be able to open the heart and actually participate in what's needed in our world, there needs to be a ground of resilience and resource. And that starts with our capacity to rest, to step back and unplug. So one of the questions that I invite you to consider is, what's it like to slow down? What's it like to learn how to allow the mind to come to stillness? Instead of continuing to push to go faster, so in the meditations we'll be doing, one of the things I'll be emphasizing, particularly this uh, first week, uh, is that capacity to hold, to hold the mind and the body with a quality of gentle firmness and love, and within that steady holding to allow things to rest, to slow down. Just kind of taking a moment here and seeing what else I want to emphasize about this. We've talked about making space for what is, for welcoming however you're doing. Talk about resting, slowing down. I think the other thing I want to emphasize um, is the, uh, the gratitude, what we started with. And not just gratitude, but just the sense of nourishment. So um, both in this practice and uh, in life in general, 
being able to feed ourselves with, with healthy nourishment is essential. Now, the Buddha talked a lot about the analogy of, of feeding, of eating, and talked about how everything needs sustenance. Everything, there's the, the image, the mythological image of the snake eating its own tail. Right? That's life. Life lives on life. It's a cycle of energy. Everything feeds on something else. And so it's not just that the body consumes food to survive, um, but our very consciousness. In order for consciousness to, to, to continue to persist through time, it needs nourishment. It needs sustenance. It needs contact, the, the sensory contact intention to continue through time. And so one of the core um, disciplines of Dharma practitioners, one of the core instructions that the Buddha gave us is to start to pay more attention to what we consume. How are you nourishing your mind and body? What are you taking in? Because what we take in creates the quality of our life. And it's the, it's the mental and emotional sustenance that um, is in, in some ways the most powerful and dangerous because, or potentially liberating because that's what creates the inner atmosphere of our mind. So the, the trajectory of Dhamma practice is uh, one first of, of withdrawing the attention from unhelpful, unhealthy contact, um, externally and internally. So externally we follow the precepts. We don't kill or steal or use harsh language. We make amends when we, when we can. We don't use our sexual energy to cause harm. We don't take intoxicants that create heedlessness and confusion in the mind. But internally, what do we consume? What, what kind of media do we take in through the senses? And, and what, do we, what sorts of intentions and thoughts do we feed in our own mind? Because that's creating the inner world that we live with. So we withdraw the attention from those that are unhelpful and of starting to starve those, and we start to feed it with the ones that are more nourishing and helpful. And these are, these are the, the qualities and experiences of resilience and resource, gratitude, generosity, kindness, patience, compassion, integrity, dedication, energy. So one of the things I also want to emphasize as we begin is uh, the importance of nourishing yourself during this time and using the practice to nourish yourself. And that's not just about rest, it's also about um, encouraging the beautiful, bright, healthy qualities in our heart and mind. And the Buddha talked about three primary uh, qualities to cultivate on the path. This is the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path called Samasankapa. These uh, deep intentions or orientations to life, kindness, compassion, and renunciation or simplicity. And so these are the qualities that are meant to infuse 
our life and our meditation practice. So as you as you practice, as we explore the path this month, one of the things that I'll be emphasizing is how we approach the practice. Are we approaching it with a quality of kindness? Are we approaching ourselves, our own mind, our own feelings and emotions with a quality of compassion? Are we creating um, a space of simplicity where we can put down the things that aren't essential externally and internally? This is from Aldous Huxley, author. He said, it's a bit embarrassing to have been concerned with the human problem for all one's life and find out at the end that one has no more to offer by way of advice than this. Try to be a little kinder. Right? There's that sense of the fundamental, essential requirement of kindness if we're going to get through this life without so much unnecessary suffering. And I don't know about you, but for me, that was not, that was not what I learned. I did not learn to be kind to myself. I learned to push myself. I learned to be hard on myself, right? I learned to be um, critical and judgmental before others would be critical and judgmental. It took time and a lot of practice and a lot of grief to learn how to start to be kinder to myself. So over the course of this month, there are many different ways to um, use these offerings that we are providing. And I wanna just talk about a few of those I've kind of I've kind of sketched out a little bit about sort of the the qualities the the inner essence of what what uh, some of some of what we'll be offering this first part of kind of resting, nourishing, um, quality of kindness. Um, what's the form? What's the structure? Um, so you know when you go on a silent meditation retreat, you've got a schedule. You have the teachers or people cooking food for you. Well. All of us are at home. We're not on a retreat somewhere. So we need to look at other structures. Um, so one, um, one very powerful teaching that um, I've heard from different teachers and different traditions in different ways can be summarized uh, with the, this one phrase, make your life your monastery. And one of my first teachers said, um, life is your best teacher. Allow life to be your teacher. So our life is our retreat right now. Wherever you are, whatever's happening, whatever your conditions are, economically, um, financially, residentially, family-wise, health-wise, that's your retreat. That's your, that's, your, that's your structure. If we turn towards it, if we use it in that way. Now, in addition to that, there are other structures, other supports that we can draw on to help us remember that whatever's happening is the curriculum that we have to learn from. So sitting every day or doing formal practice, we say sitting 
we mean formal practice. Sit, walk, recline, stand. Take the time that you can. If it's five minutes, great. If it's half an hour, great. If it's an hour, great. Do what you can, but make it consistent every day. Take some time for formal practice. You shower every day, you brush your teeth every day, you feed your body every day. Take care of your mind every day. Give it that time to just be with what's happening. Remember how to rest, how to be with experience from moment to moment and bring forth the goodness and the wisdom in your heart. Another very important um, support for the practice and for this, this retreat are the refuges and precepts the three refuges of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So this, this sense of the, um, the place of safety, what we can actually rely on, the Buddha, the vision of awakening, the potential for freedom, and the, the, the quality of wakeful awareness in our own mind and heart. The Dharma, the teachings and the way things are, the natural order of this, of this world. And the Sangha, the community of practitioners and those who have come before us and realized the fruits of this path, particularly the the awakened Sangha. The precepts I've already mentioned, this kind of ethos of not causing harm, living with ethical integrity. So Caroline will talk more about both of these, the refuges and the precepts, um, tomorrow, Friday, during her Dharma talk to kind of suss out how these can be a support for us and the, the kind of deeper meaning behind them. Another very important support for the practice during the time is um, what's known as seclusion. The word in uh, Pali is viveka, which, which literally means something like stepping back, not getting too involved. Now, what, what does this mean? Does this mean we disconnect, that we, we don't care? No. Seclusion, stepping back, happens on different levels. There's seclusion of the body. This is the first level. And this is about um, removing ourselves from the flow of daily activities. And so when you come to do your formal practice, when you close the door and you turn off your phone and you sit down or you lie down or you come to your walking path, you're secluding your body. You are disengaging from the ordinary flow of activities and the busyness of life and the notifications and the demands. And you're saying, for this period of time, this is, this is sacred time and this is time for learning and healing uh, and awakening. This is a seclusion of the body. It leads to a kind of silence, a kind of stillness of the body if taken to its fullness. Then there is the seclusion the disengagement, the non-involvement, the stepping back of the mind and the heart, called chitta viveka. And this is this is a more subtle kind of um, of quieting. So it's very easy to turn off your phone and close the door and sit down somewhere and not move for a little bit. Sometimes it's not so easy. <laughs> given given our, our life circumstances, if you've got a screaming two-year-old or you know pets to feed, it can be a little bit harder to disengage. But what I'm talking about is the actual act of it is something we can do voluntarily, and then it's done. Much more complicated is stepping back and disengaging from the incessant activity of the mind and the heart, the planning, the thinking, the uh, projecting, the anxiety, the fear, the remembering, the longing, the confusion, the self-judgment, the self-doubt, the wondering, all of that incessant 
kind of jitteriness in the heart. How do we start to allow that to settle? This is the seclusion of the heart, the, the, the ability to step back even inside from the own mind and just start to observe the show, just start to let it appear and disappear. Being more involved, more, more interested in the process than involved in the content. And then as this progresses, this leads to something called upadi viveka, which is the, the stepping back and the quieting of the very um, deep structures of the mind and the personality and the sense of self. This is a, a much deeper layer of practice. So how do we support this? Well, this is about making conscious choices in how we use our attention. Where do you place your attention from moment to moment, different parts of the day? When you have a free moment, do you automatically pick up the phone and look at the notifications? That's a kind of feeding the incessant activity of the mind. Or are we more conscious about how we engage with that device? Are we able to, in a, in a, in a uh, down moment of downtime, are we able to kind of, oh, let's just breathe. Let's just notice the sky and notice the, the view. Notice this person in front of me. So the process uh, uh, that I'm describing is about how do we use our life as a retreat to um, create conditions that support insight and transformation. Now, on a, on a meditation retreat, the main vehicles for this are noble silence. We're not talking, we're not reading, we're not writing. And the uh, simplicity of the schedule and the structure, we're not doing a whole lot. Now, obviously, for many of us, we're talking, we're reading, we're writing, we're still doing. But within those activities, there can be a quality of, of presence and a quality of intentionality behind what we are doing, what's actually important, what's necessary and essential, and what's not. So what does this look like practically? Take time to be quiet. See if you can find time for, for silence, even if it's not formal practice. In some ways, especially if it's not formal practice, to just be still, to be quiet, to, to walk without an agenda. Um, and then to be deliberate about how you engage in activities, whether it's looking at the news or doing work or having conversation, um, to be choiceful about how you're using your time and your attention. And this is not to say to isolate. Many of us uh, are very isolated right now because of the, the need for physical distancing and the closing of parks and restaurants and so many social uh, functions that might normally be quite important and nourishing for us. This is not about isolating. This is about choosing deliberately what we're going to take in and what we're going to engage with so that it's actually feeding and supporting our practice. I think the last thing I want to offer this morning is uh, the invitation to reflect on your intention. 
So over the course of the next month, for as much as you are interested and able to tune in and join me and Caroline, why? What's important to you? Whether you were signed up for the retreat at the Forest Refuge in April, or you're just tuning in because you heard about it, okay, here we are. Who knows what this next month is going to bring for any of us, personally and collectively. Set your course. If we don't choose our course, it will be chosen for us, either by habit or by society. What's your North Star? What's your intention here? What's this about for you? What do you want to cultivate? What do you want to strengthen? If you choose that, if you take the time to consider it and say, you know, this month I, I really want to I really want to focus on patience or I really want to be kind to myself and others. I really want to be honest. Enough of this, you know, pretending to myself and to others that I'm okay or whatever it is. I want to be real. I want to be real with myself, ruthlessly real and honest. What is that for you? Find that and articulate it. If it's a word, maybe it's an image. Maybe it's the image of something that inspires you. But find that and then and get a representation for it. Write the word down on, a, on an index card and put it on your desk or on your altar. Or go outside and find a, a, a stone or a branch or a pine cone, something that represents it for you, and place that somewhere where you'll see it every day. I want to end with a poem, a poem by Pablo Neruda, that seems particularly apt for these times that we're living in where uh, everything is changing and uh, kind of going into a certain hibernation where so much is stopping and uh, around us in society. And that stopping is, is a deep quality of this practice and a deep quality of retreat. This is called Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda. Now we will count to 12, and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment, without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, 
perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems alive, as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count to 12 and you keep quiet and I will go. So as we begin this month of practice together and as our world continues to um, kind of become unhinged, this is an exotic moment like Pablo Neruda dreamed of where things can settle and be quiet. Not necessarily outside, particularly given your life circumstances, but inside. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. I wish you well. Caroline will be offering a talk tomorrow. It can be found on Dharma Seed. uh, And I'll be back on Monday morning at this time uh, with a short reflection and a guided meditation. All right. Lots of love. Take care. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.